everybody, and welcome back to the Finding Home podcast, where, you know, I say home is more than just the sticks and the bricks that you live in. Having an ongoing conversation with different people and, of course, with myself about life here in Utah, specifically along the Wasatch Front. And you guys, there's... There's a dirty secret. It's not even a secret, but it's something that people tend to to overlook in podcasting. And that's that there's no such thing as a single take. And there's no such thing as something that sounds amazing that hasn't been edited. Unless there's just ridiculous amounts of planning that go into it. And and I plan a good amount. Like, here's my... I I prepared for this episode. You can have all these papers here. And I already recorded it once. And I didn't like it. I I just didn't like how it felt as I was thinking back over it. And I feel like I kind of went too in depth on the things that didn't matter. So we're taking this other one. We're scrapping that. This is, you're going to get the new improved version. You might get bits of the other one because there were some points I made that I did like. And if I missed those points, I would like to cover them. So here we go with episode 13. We're going to discuss the Equifax hack that recently occurred. Talk about how that might impact you and some things that you could potentially do about it. And before we go any further, I do just want to make sure that you know that this is not really my area of expertise. I read a bunch of articles. Um, I've taken some classes on credit reporting, that sort of a thing, but I'm not an expert. And if you're really super concerned about this, you may want to talk to an expert. And part of the thing that I'm going to skip over is just kind of how credit reporting works, because I kind of want to get somebody who works in that industry, who either does credit repair, that sort of thing, to come on the show and talk about that so that you guys can know exactly how your credit works and how it impacts your life. But what I want to talk about, what is Equifax? Equifax is one of the three major credit reporting bureaus. Now, the thing that not a lot of people know is we think of credit reporting as this official sort of thing that is somehow responsible for our ability to to receive credit. The reality is these three bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, they are private companies. These are companies whose interest is making a profit. But these companies do more than just gather data to report on your credit worthiness. They are big data companies. Essentially what they are is they they aggregate data, all sorts of data. They collect their own data based on their systems. They buy data from other people and they essentially have these files on you. They know you better than maybe you know yourself because they've collected all this data on you. And the weird thing is you don't know what they know about you. You don't know. So they have all of this data. You know, so, and that includes like your social security number and your income and how many pets you have, what your favorite TV show is, all the stuff that's behavior-based, this data that's being collected nowadays. They have access to this. They buy it, they repackage it, and then they sell it. For example, let's say you've owned your car for five years. They know based on a lot of behavior research that after five years, people tend to start looking for a new car what happens is then you start getting targeted with ads by car dealerships. And what has happened is these car dealerships have bought lists from a company like Experian. And this list is just people who meet all the certain criteria to be in the market for a car based on general social behavior. And that's why sometimes, and it's not all the time, but sometimes it seems so creepy when you start getting ads targeted at you for something that you were thinking about or something you've been talking about. But the reality is these companies know a lot more about us than we think. So what happened with Experian is kind of a big deal because mostly because of the timing to me, right? Like if they'd, if they'd had this hack happen and they'd found it relatively quickly and told everybody and taking care of it, I probably wouldn't even be doing this episode. But what happened is back in mid-May of this year of 2017, 
hackers exploited a, a website application vulnerability. And a website application is just a bit of software that lives inside your website. You know, like, so when you, for example, when you fill out the contact form on my, on my website, on findinghomepodcast.com, that's a separate application that I've installed into my website. So there was a, a vulnerability in one of these applications and they hacked their way in. And this was in mid-May. And for six weeks, roughly, Experian didn't know that this had happened. So for six weeks, this is from mid-May to July 29th, when they discovered the, the hack, they discovered the hole, essentially, and shut it down. These hackers had access to data. And from what we can tell, there are about 143 million American people impacted by this. That's like 44% of the population. It's nuts. Anyhow, but over the six weeks, they discovered it in July. They shut it down, and then they didn't tell anybody until September 7th. They didn't tell anyone. And we, we still don't know the full extent of what was taken. We do know a couple of things. We know that they've stolen names, uh, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, driver's license numbers for a lot of people. They have got 209,000 credit card numbers, 182,000 documents containing your personal information. And they just call it personal identifying information. We don't even know what's in these files. You can't call up Equifax and say, hey, can I see my file? So we don't know. We really don't know all of that information. But the problem is this information they have can be packaged in different ways and sold on the black market for people to steal your identity. When we think of identity theft, most often we think of somebody running up our credit cards or like in my case, somebody had forged some checks with my account information on them one time and spent a bunch of my money and my bank was really fantastic and reimbursed me and it was all fine. But of course, on a side note, who spends $150 at Dollar Tree? That's what I want to know. <laughs> The issue isn't just stealing somebody's credit. Uh, people can now get, you know, if the right information, they can get driver's licenses under your name. They can go, they can speed, or they can get parking tickets and just pile up parking tickets that they don't pay, but they're you, essentially. And eventually you might end up with a warrant for your arrest based on the fact that somebody stole your information, made off with it, and got a driver's license, and didn't pay their tickets. So it's a pretty serious deal. This is a big deal. And the hard part is, the more people I talk to about this, the, the more I hear the same kind of refrain. And that's like, I don't even want to look into it. I'm too scared that I'm impacted. I'm too scared of what it means. And I don't want to deal with it. And this attitude is what's primary behind what's going to have to change. We're going to roll into that later. But let me tell you just one more note, just because I... To be fair, in full disclosure, I think credit reporting is an imperfect industry. I don't think these companies understand the depth of what they're dealing with. They're just out to make money. And sometimes that impacts people negatively. For example, myself, I had a bunch of my dad's negative credit on my credit report when I first went to try and get credit. It took me three years to get all that stuff cleared up. It was a ridiculously long process. So I already think that Experian and TransUnion and Equifax, I don't think they're perfect companies. I don't think they have anybody's best interest in mind but their own. However, with this Equifax hack, something else happened. So in the six weeks or five or six weeks that they weren't telling people what had happened, that they weren't telling people that the data had been breached, there were three different executives at Equifax who sold about $2 million worth of stock. And one of them is the chief financial officer. Now, the story they're trying to spin, and the story I don't believe, is that these executives, these high-level executives, didn't know about the breach, that they didn't know about the hack. I can't buy that. I just can't. I can't buy that the, the CFO of a company wouldn't know 
that an event occurred that would impact the finances of that company. It's, it's ridiculous. The other ridiculous thing they said is that this $2 million that these three executives sold, this $2 million worth of stock, was just a small percentage of what the executives own. Now, <laughs> to me, A, when you talk about $2 million and you refer to it as something small, you are disconnected from reality. You're just, you're gone, man. You don't understand a damn thing about how normal people operate. <laughs> the second thing is the fact that it's a small number tells me that they knew about it and they wanted it, well, a small number comparatively, that they knew about it and they wanted to sell that stock and make that bunch of money, but they didn't want it to look suspicious. The, the small amount to me is more incriminating. Like if it's only a small percentage of their stock, to me, that's more incriminating than if they'd gone and sold all of that. So to me, that's just suspicious, right? So I've gone over really quick about what the hack is, but now what do you do? That's the real question. As I talk to people and I say, I don't even want to deal with this because they don't want to have to deal with the repercussions of a decision they didn't make with information that they technically didn't give anyone. I mean, that's the problem, right? So there's four things that I'm thinking of, and, and these are coming from articles, and I'll try and put the links up to all the articles I used to get this information. The first thing to do is just assume that your information got taken. You can go check on Equifax's site, but I mean, from where I'm sitting, I don't really trust them. I don't. There's been some interesting articles about people putting like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine or what have you in the social security number and then it coming back as compromised. So I'm, I'm telling you, just assume you're compromised. You don't have to go check, but assume you're compromised and take some steps. The next thing you want to do is get some credit monitoring. Now I wouldn't use what Equifax is offering. The reason isn't because I think their product sucks. It's because they're offering one free year of it to everybody, but it's kind of a cash grab because after that year, they just renew. And most of us are going to forget. And how much money are they going to make from the people who just forgotten that they signed up for the free year of credit monitoring? And then it just rolls over. I also, again, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. Now, there are a lot of places you can go. I'm not going to say where to go, but there's plenty of credit monitoring your employer might offer it as a payroll deduction. But get involved, get into some credit monitoring because you're, you're going to want to see what's going on. At the very least, if you don't want to pay for credit monitoring, get on like Credit Karma or something or through your credit card. Keep an eye on your credit. Turn on your credit alerts. Like most of these companies, like I know through Capital One, you can monitor your credit and they send, they do a certain level of monitoring. If a new account opens up, they let you know. That sort of a thing. If you're really concerned about this, you can, you can do a credit freeze. You would have to contact all three bureaus. So that's TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. And you'd have to institute a credit freeze. Now there's sometimes there's a cost associated with that because these companies are out to make money. But you can put a freeze on your credit, which means nobody can open any accounts. But of course, that also means not even you, which means you'd have to unfreeze your credit to get a car loan or get a home loan, that sort of a thing. Putting a freeze on your credit doesn't mean that they're no longer reporting on you. All of your existing credit still gets reported. It just means that nobody can open new accounts. One of the other things is if your passwords or your security questions are using personal information like addresses, schools, cars, birth dates, your spouse's name, that sort of a thing, you probably ought to go change your passwords because it's not just, like I said, it's not just credit information that they've stolen. It's all sorts of information. So somebody could potentially hack your, your email account with the information that they took through this hack. 
So those, those are the four things that you that you really want to do. You want to assume that that you're screwed essentially, and then you want to take steps. Now, whether that step taking steps means you're monitoring your credit on your own, or whether you're paying a company to do it, you want to get some monitoring done. You want to watch what's happening with your credit because that's the first place they're going to go. If you have those identifying things in your passwords and stuff, go change them. Just go change them today. You can use password generators to create crazy passwords. I know it sucks because we all want to have passwords we remember, but our data is valuable to a lot of people. So do that and then consider a credit freeze. Consider it if you're really that nervous about it, or if you have excellent credit and excellent income and you are really proud of your credit, maybe put a freeze on it if you've got the means to pay for a freeze and if you don't need to borrow anything in the near future. But the bigger deal here is that this changes the whole game. We can't go back to business as usual. A, a hack, a data breach of this magnitude, it changes the game because it teaches us a lesson. It teaches us a lesson that I've been, I've been trying to talk about for a while. And that's that the internet is young. It's this ubiquitous thing that just lives in our whole life, but it's young. We still don't know how to work it right as evidenced by all the different hacks that occur and just how cavalier we are with our information. And it's not just when we're cavalier with our information. Like, like for example, I don't know what Experian has on me, but I didn't sign up for them to collect information on me. They've been collecting information on me since I was a certain age because that's their business and that's what they get paid for. Now, I didn't consent to that or anything. Different than that, though, is Google. Google knows more about me than I know about myself. But with Google, I opted in. Like that was on purpose. That was a purposeful move on my part because I wanted to use their products. And I knew that was the cost of doing business. I knew when I signed up for Gmail that I was getting this free, fantastic bit of software, not for free, but at the cost of my data. It's the same thing when you sign up for Facebook. You know that these companies are using your data and they're making their money by selling that data so people can market to you so you will buy products. I know that about Google. And I've decided to sell my soul to the devil in that regard. That was a decision of mine. But this whole situation is so young. And maybe I made a mistake giving my information to Google. Maybe I made that mistake. Maybe it's a mistake to leave the geolocation tracking on on my phone for certain applications. Maybe that's a mistake. These are, these are things we need to learn about still. And the reality is we need like a data bill of rights. We need to have rights as consumers and as owners of our own lives to know, at the very least, to know what these companies have on our files. Because we don't know that. We don't know what data Experian had. We just know that they have a lot of it. And I really think we should have control over that information. Like I said, I opted into Google. And Google has a big, long-term service that says, we get to take all your information. And I said, well, I don't want to read this, and I want to use your product, so therefore, okay. But I would like the right at some point, if I decide that I don't want them to have my data anymore, I want to take it back. And that's what I'm talking about. But the only way to accomplish that is with legislation. And our politics are so broke right now that I don't even, I don't even know this is on people's radar, but it's going to be. Because this hack is a game changer. This hack is a game changer. So what I would say to do is pay attention. Pay attention going forward. You might have to read some terms of service. Because every company that's providing you with a quote-unquote free service 
They're just not taking money from you. They're taking information from you. And that information is probably worth more to the company than if they were charging you a moderate fee to access their product. And so what I would love to see is the ability to pay for the product without giving up the information. Just that, just that alone, the ability to know what they know about you and then to opt out of the information gathering and just pay for the service. Because there's services I would pay for if it meant I could have that trade-off. But guys, that's really it with the Equifax hack. And I feel a lot better about this rundown of it. But that's, that's the nuts and bolts. Go do something. Okay, don't be afraid that it's too complicated or that you don't have time to deal with this. Go do something, because if you don't do it now, this stuff could happen to you three, four years from now. So you need to be vigilant from this point forward and pay attention because there's going to be changes coming. There just are. I can tell you that things are going to change and they're going to change as a result of this hack because this hack is a bigger deal than I would say than any other news we've had this year. And that's saying a lot. So moving on to one last bit, um, I've had multiple people talk to me and say that they're waiting for the market to crash again. I'm going to say this again. I think I've said it in other podcasts. You guys, the market isn't going to crash like it did in 07, 08. That's not going to happen. We're not going to see something of that scale. If you're waiting around for prices to go back down, it, it's now. If you wait for three years for the market to correct, you're going to have seen 7-10% increases over those years, and then we'll have maybe an 8% decrease when the market corrects. If you wait for the market correction, you're going to lose. That's it. Like I, I, I don't want to sound like a dick, but that's really it. If you're sitting around like, oh, I'm just going to wait for the market to correct, you're going to lose. Because right now, we're not going to see these prices again. Because of the safeguards that were put in place after the last market collapse. Next year, unlike this year, next year, I really feel like inventory is going to go back up. Once inventory goes up, you're going to see nice, even, steady growth. And the market will be healthy. I like healthy markets. I like nice, even, steady markets. If you guys wait, though, and I'm not... When people ask me if it's a good time to buy or sell, I always just say yes. Because the market is always going to change. Events like the market crash of 0708, those events don't happen all the time. Now, if they dismantle Dodd-Frank, I'll be changing my tune. But until then, we've got safeguards in place. And our market here is strong and insane because we have great employment numbers and no inventory. And I know a lot of people are gun-shy about selling their house because they're afraid they won't be able to find a house. And I know a lot of people are gun-shy about going out and buying a house and then overpaying for it when the market corrects. From my point of view, we're not going to see that again. You guys, we're not. That was a a once in a lifetime kind of situation. So if you're on the fence, if you're waiting, my opinion is you're going to lose in the long term. That's my opinion. If you're waiting. And that doesn't mean that you must have it happen right now. But if you've been saying you're going to put it off for two or three years because you want to wait for the market correction, you're not going to be able to take advantage of pricing right now. Because it's not going to drop back down to this price. The market corrects next time. It's going to be a normal, healthy correction, probably of only five to seven percent. Now, if we see eight to twelve percent increases on average over each year for the next three years, you're not saving any money. You're still paying more than you would right now. Now, if you don't want to sell your house because you love your house, great. 
Honestly, that's the reason to not sell your house. But if you don't want to sell your house because you're afraid of what the market's going to do, and you're afraid of buying a house that you won't be able to afford when the market corrects, I don't, I don't think that's the right choice for most people, especially if you're unhappy with your living situation. I figured I'd throw some, some real estate in there. I got some, I've gotten some really great feedback uh, on the podcast, and some of it was, hey, you still need to talk about real estate, so there's your real estate bit. I hope this was helpful. I hope this whole Equifax thing was helpful because it's, it's such a screwed up situation. If you guys have more questions about this or what you can do or need more resources, contact me. You know where you can find me. I'm findinghomepodcast at gmail.com. You can go to the website at findinghomepodcast.com and use the contact form to get in touch with me. You can call me at 801-326-0315 and I'll answer your questions. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here to help out. So that's what I've got for this week. Coming up next week is a fantastic interview with uh, just a killer group of guys who are trying to, to make this impact and difference with essentially a movement that they're building. And so I'm really excited for that. That's going to come up next week and the week after. It's going to be a two-part uh, interview. So until then, you guys again, if you need anything, give me a shout. If you want to come be on the podcast, get in touch with me. I've had a few more people get in touch with me about that. If you know somebody who might want to be on the podcast, connect us up. We'll make it happen. Until next time, again, I'm Keith, and I will talk to you later.